Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Azure-centric podcast on our Azure weekly updates. My name is Marcos Nogueira, and with me, I have my best friend, Andrew Lowes. How are you, Andrew? I'm amazing. You are amazing, <laughs> right? We had a very good weekend, or we are having a very good weekend. The sun is blessing, the temperature is rising, and oh my God, it feels like, at least in Alberta, we are melting. I'm not complaining. I'm just <laughs> mentioning. Okay. Somewhere in the middle would be really good, yeah. right? Because we get uh, the very chilly days and then we have some very hot days. Uh, but that's okay. Like you, I'm not complaining. I'm just happy that it's not raining and we can be outside and uh, go and do all of the things. Absolutely. And of course, we had the amazing news this past week that we get to have a uh, a couple of people over as long as they uh, are outside, I think it is. Yes. Uh, we are on stage. Yeah, so too. things are getting better. Yes. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. It's starting to get a little bit of what we call the normal life. That we mm -hmm. we take it for granted. And it's another humble um, moment in our lives that we take for granted. And we shouldn't. Um, and it's it's coming for appreciation even more but yes absolutely all the numbers are getting higher with the vaccination which is good we started to see people a little bit more happier um uh, i have to say um uh, and what is important but uh let's let's um start this but by so like all of the things in in our personal life azure has been uh well watered and has been growing yes. So there was lots of updates this week, right? It was. It was a lot of updates this week. And it's very curious because two weeks ago we had uh, we had the build, right? That we mm -hmm. have an insane yeah, amount of yeah. updates. Um, and the week after, uh, we had a very short period or a short number of updates, which allow us to go a little bit deeper. And the feedback was amazing regarding that that particular mm -hmm. episode. And this week, we have a fair amount of updates again, which is very good because it's not far away again, like two weeks ago that we had built, right? So it shows that they are not stopping. And, and a lot of those updates, although didn't make the cut for this week, uh, it was around the database uh, area, right? It was. It was a database week for Absolutely. sure. There was a lot of uh, Postgre and MySQL yeah. um, updates this Absolutely. week. And it was really interesting. We even kind of hummed and hawed a bit. We were trying to decide, should we leave a couple in? Uh, there's so many because, you know, there was a lot of advancements. So if you're working uh, in and around data or you're working with especially open source database formats, uh, go and check out the Azure Updates uh, website, their blog there. And uh, there's a lot of really, really cool updates, uh, especially this this past week, um, that will be very relevant yeah. uh, for yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. But it, I, think our, I think our theme is a little bit generic again, but I'm going to say it's General Availability Week. It is. It's the GA week. It's the GA week. It is. And, and with that, we want to start... Uh, in this case, uh, as usually, to thank to our to you 
that you are in this case uh, listen to this podcast if you are new um uh, to the channel don't forget to subscribe don't forget to smash that like button or the dislike button uh either one works for us we prefer what's not to love we prefer the <laughs> like button uh, as you can imagine right but if you have something to say either you like or don't uh if you like my color of my shirt or you prefer like andrew's color of shirt or <laughs> if you like more like the haircut of andrew's and not mine um just let us know i think it's about the same isn't it <laughs> our, our hair <laughs> it is it's like the short almost nothing at least for me <laughs> it's it's almost nothing but i'm gonna still argue there's something. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> We cut it to, to just kind of uh, uh, not to enhance what we're missing, but yeah, to kind of have some color at, at our heads, basically. So as usual, right on topic, you know, this past uh, few days, somebody did ask me about my haircut and I uh, it made me think a little bit. And I said, uh, gosh, you know what? I've been cutting my hair like this for almost 30 years. Wow. And... I, I was like, I, I had to think about it for a moment. I was like, oh, I actually didn't realize that. <laughs> it's been a very long, it's been a long time since I've had long hair. That's one thing for but sure. So <laughs> we, The question that everyone wants to hear is, what is long hair? It's like one inch, oh, two inch. So, long, well, long hair is if I have to use a brush. Oh. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I think long hair is now. Really? Now, if you if you asked teenager me, yeah. uh, I had beautiful long hair. It was like halfway down my back. Uh, I was a little bit of a hippie, maybe. So <laughs> there you go. A little bit of sharing to start us exactly. off. Exactly. I have to say that during my teenager times, I had long hair as well because it was apparently the fashion at that time. Uh, but was it not, was a style man attack. was not yeah. as as the middle of the, of the back. It wasn't uh, probably too much shoulders, but yes, uh, too much work. Uh, and uh, we learned mm -hmm. very simple that it's keep it simple. That's why I like, and it's it's way less uh, maintenance. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. You'd be, it's like you'd be surprised at a little shampoo you don't is, need. When exactly, <laughs> and it's like automation. You just you you don't need to be awake to take to take your bath wet. and to just wet Dry. and done, and we are good. <laughs> good. Okay, we already deviate too much. <laughs> well, I think we start. I think I think that we should start the episode yeah, before yeah, we get yeah. way off here. Let's let's roll and then let's come back with updates. So welcome back. Uh, let's dive into the first um, update uh, so we cannot deviate anymore from this episode. <laughs> and the first update, as as the team, like, like Andrew said, the general viability team is the general viability of Express Route go global reach price reduction. What a way to start our podcast, our episode of this season 
with some savings in our pockets. Absolutely. There's been a few price reductions kind of coming uh, week over week, kind of uh, slowly trickling down. And this one is interesting, released June 4, uh, with prices backdated to June 1 of uh, this year, 2021, just for reference in case we decide to listen back in like five years or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Global Reach is uh, a really interesting technology, right? So it's like an interconnecting technology, uh, the ability to connect two express routes. So if you have uh, point A and point B connected with an express route and point C and point D, and two of those are in Azure, then you can connect uh, B and D together in Azure using a global reach to create an interconnected network. And uh, because it is a connection, data egress, data transport uh, charges may apply. In some cases, it's 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 interesting because some some uh, some data transit does have a charge and some does not. So uh, it I, I don't pretend to understand it. I always 100% of the time always refer back to uh, the charts on the Azure price list and uh, just use Bing search it. I think it's like Azure.com/pricing or something like that. Uh, but uh, it it will give you a very good list uh, that is accurate of uh, what the, the data transit charges are, gateways and all those yeah. things like that. So um, a 50% decrease in the data transfer price on uh, ExpressRoute Global Reach, that's huge. huge. That's really huge. And it's huge. And it's and again, it's taking advantage of these, like, like you said and explained really well, uh, the using the ExpressRoute. So the ExpressRoute, you can use that connection and there is a huge advantage between using express route and VPN because on the VPN side of it you have you still have those traffic charges although it's yeah. not as reliable and you are through the internet connecting so basically you are creating a tunnel between those sites as well between those sites on prem and in this case azure express route you have a mpls yeah. link dedicated to that so you have low latency, you, you can increase the security of that because now you are working with the peering as well. Uh, although- That's okay. right. And you, well, you can further wrap it as well. There's different technologies, Absolutely. of course, right? Um, I like global reach much better over VPN. And I just want to talk about that for a moment because when we use VPN, we have to um, scale up those gateways quite a lot. Um, to get the, the same potential bandwidth from a global reach, which is going to be Azure Backbone with a minimum of 10 gigabit. And in some cases, it might be 100 gigabit, depending on the, the data centers and, and what it's transiting, right? So uh, there can be some pretty big uh, data throughput with global reach versus VPN. Yes. Um, but it, it, it is interesting because I think, I think Microsoft is really um, emphasizing the fact or not emphasizing, reinforcing the fact that a lot of organizations are now heavily interconnected in their virtual networks, right? Absolutely. Um, and it's not only that, it's like the, the, the express route give you more resilience, right? And more, uh, and more uh, throughout throughput and, and no latency. In certain cases, I have to say, 
because I've been on customers that they did build their infrastructure really well. And one of their positioning, uh, they are they were using for their VPN, the point of presence. So one of them to be in Chicago, for example, that we talk a lot already on these on these uh, podcasts. Um, that is one of the point of the presence for the internet. And during all of those tests and everything else, it was one of the few that he was not making any sense to recommend ExpressRoute, for example, which is really interesting because the way that they were doing VPN and all of that, right? It was way faster and with low latency because of that. So it's it's interesting to see all of these working on the express route uh, for the price that I see, and this is another thing that I want to to just kind of uh, make sure that everyone understand those prices that you see on the blog of the reduction is the Microsoft price because you have two prices mm. for the express route. You have the price of the link that you have their partners, right? Could be any network partner that you have, right? Depending on your location and visit again, the azure.com website to, to know which partner is on your region. Uh, but then is the price that you have regarding data transfer or using then bandwidth. So that is different. Yeah. So it's not like, because I was seeing that and I always think, oh, like what 50 bucks to have a, to have a, 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 a express oh, route yeah, but, but then you have to add yeah, but, on that the mpls <laughs> circuits okay exactly right it's like i i mean it sounds like a cell phone commercial but carrier charges may apply <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes i didn't know you were going to take a drink i'm sorry <laughs> i almost spit on live over, over my coffee over here <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's too much daylight in Alberta. Yeah, right absolutely. Now, folks. <laughs> but we did, we did kind of say that, that through the summer, going to the summer is going to be very complicated to maintain the level on this podcast. We did announce that. Uh, it is. Yes. I do have a reputation for uh, <laughs> perhaps having a bit of a funny bone <laughs> once in a while. Absolutely. So the next one is. Another GA, right? Azure Backup for Azure Backup. Upgrade to TLS 1.2 or above for Secure Mars, that is the Microsoft Azure Recovery Service agent backups mm -hmm. by September 1, 2021. This is a huge security improvement. And what I like about this is the older version of TLS, right? the transport layer security of version 1 and 1.1 will no longer be supported. But what I like about this is in order to continue using the Azure Backup without an interruption, you need to make sure that you are enabled the TLS 1.2 or above. Okay? Mm -hmm. That is the only caveat on this. There is the steps um on there is a link for the steps uh on documented okay if you want to follow but you need to enable so if you are not enable this please do so 
because September 1st will come very soon. It will, yeah. So uh, typically IT kind of slows down a bit in the summer. Yeah. That is not the case so far this year. Things are shaping up to stay very, very busy. And uh, whatever that reason is, uh, kind of some post-COVID stuff going on, projects trying to catch up, especially in security areas, uh, there's a big emphasis and a lot of support for um, kind of security revisions right now. And I think that this is this is a big part of yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, a lot of companies, like a lot of our customers, are using Azure Backup in a distributed way. And it's part of a very healthy and very robust a business continuity and disaster recovery plan. It's a very flexible tool, but like you say, we have to enable. So we have to go in, we have to check a box, we have to uh, make a couple of minor changes and just save it. But we also have to make sure that we're staying relatively up to date. So I just want to talk about that for a brief moment, because the one thing that you and I always remind all of our viewers and listeners about is when we update anything from uh, Azure portal backup uh, site recovery, you start at the portal and work your way down. So portal and then your collector systems, your servers, then your agents underneath that. Uh, very important to do it in that order and very important to make your saves in that order as Absolutely. well. So uh, everything continues to work. But you're right, September 1 is going to come up very fast, uh, which makes me a little bit sad, actually, because it's just June. <laughs> True. But the thing is, what I like about, about all of this uh, is that they are making this TLS, in this case, um, evolution. Uh, by default without removing any dependency of the older versions and i think this That's is right. critical because we know that microsoft a lot of time you have a dependency of older versions so you need to enable for example if you are on tls 1.0 uh, and you want to move to 1.2 for example i'm not saying that that is the case but we see that you need to move for tls 1.1 and then, then moving to a, to a TLS 1.2 or the above, right? In this case, there is no dependency of older version. So you can go directly yeah. to 1.2 or above without the dependency of that. The only thing you need to make sure is, remember, September 1st, 2021, you need to move on from the TLS 1.0 and 1.1, okay? And by the way, you should yeah, not absolutely. even use that right now because it's not even uh, it's not, it's safe. not safe anymore. So uh, yes, so I like these pushes to be very honest from Microsoft because it it helps us helping our customers right to achieving a better security environment because usually we are driving by those dates until then. We are. We feel a little bit accommodate, right? And we've been that on different situations. Usually, the end of support um, of different services and servers and and whatever it is products, it's what drives us to move on. Otherwise, we'll, we'll, if we don't have that, I'm sure that we still have NT4 around. Oh gosh, 
Yeah. So, yeah, I think we all have a lot of customers that are still wrestling with uh, old operating systems. I don't want to get into it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The next one, it's a very nice one, I have to say. Generative variability mm -hmm. of update in policy compliance for resource type policies. So this starting in June, uh, June 16, okay, policies mm -hmm. where resource type is only on evaluation criteria, like examples, the allowed resource types or disabled resource types will not have compliant resource store in the compliance records. So this is directly from the horse mouth, using our words, right? That um, yeah. it's what he says. They announced this this week, saying that next week they will not be, they will not have compliant on the store. Really important, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this this is one of those ones. Yeah, we both really enjoy um, policy, uh, Azure policy, because it allows us easily to report on the current status. But there is some kind of catches when we talk about those things, right? So in the case of uh, evaluation only, an evaluation policy means that we're only looking at compliance. An enforcement policy means that we're making a change. We're enforcing something, right? So uh, imagine if this was like um, a parking ticket and the evaluation uh, is just somebody looking at the car saying, yeah, that's just not a good thing. We shouldn't do this, but I'll tell someone about this so that we can fix it. Usually I the, like, I like to say that that's an audit mode. It's what I like yes. for because it's more, it's easier to understand the audit part of it. It's like we are analyzing, we are getting the knowledge, but we are not doing anything. It's it. We are in exactly. audit mode. I, I like it more than, than evaluation um, because evaluation have another uh, connections, right? To another types of interpretation. But when we, and when we introduce the, the audit on the Azure policy, at least for my opinion, um, everyone understand what we're talking about. Because audit, you are just make sure that you are regarding something that should be the baseline, that is the policy. We want to know what deviates from that policy, uh, for example. And that the audit is, is the part that we like it. Because the output of any audit in our life is what is the deviation between what is um, allowed in this case, right? Just sorry to interrupt you. Exactly. Oh, no, it's it's quite all right. So um, a little bit into this update, there is actually a very good explanation of what this means. So if there are uh, no non-compliant resources, in other words, everything is compliant, Compliance reporting will show 100% compliance. So great, you get the green check mark Absolutely. here. However, if you have one or more non-compliant resources, you will have 0% compliance. So it's a, it's a little bit uh, unusual, I think, yeah. in that sense, right? Because uh, it's kind of, a, it's like a Boolean, right? It's a, you're either compliant or you're not, <laughs> zero or 100. 
Um, it's binary. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It's literally binary, right? Yeah. So when you aggregate this with other policies, and this is what they talk about here, this logic would provide more accurate assessment of the overall environment. I'm not sure I agree with that. However, uh, I will evaluate the evaluation policy. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I, I will actually take a look at this in my own testing tenant um, because this is interesting. I do have a lot of uh, clients as do you um, that struggle, I think, understanding the compliance reports uh, from policy sometimes because, you know, things like what we just talked about, right? Enforcement versus audit. It's, it's language and it does get confusing. So it is good to just kind of just slow it down and take a bit of a look and kind of go through it with the customer together to make sure that everyone understands how that's working. Yeah. Uh, because in this case, imagine you have, uh, 10 resources being evaluated, one of them is out of compliance, but your report shows 0% compliance now, when in fact you're 90% compliant. Yeah. So I just, I, I, I want to understand what they're talking about a bit better in this article. So I'm going to go hands on. Uh, so there you go. You can have my book report on that one next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Please give me your audit uh, of this policy that you are evalu uh, evaluating. The audit of the evaluation policy? Yes. <laughs> Just to avoid any confusion, we're so sorry for yes. <laughs> If we confuse more that at the beginning of the introduction of this update, let us know. We can always repeat it. We can always have a one-to-one -one conversation. Or we sh uh, yeah. Well, I think I think that that kind of gives us a bit of an opening, to be honest. And I think uh, I would love to see a conversation. So you know, let us know your thoughts in the the YouTube channel or on Twitter uh, with uh, at Azure Centric. Um, you know, let us know what you think about Absolutely. that, uh, because these these Azure policies are very powerful. And like we were saying, um, auditing versus enforcing um, kind of two different paths. But let us know how you're using it. Let us know how this change works for you. Absolutely. And uh, we'll do our very best to get back to everybody. I promise we'll do our best. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Let's move to the next one that is the in preview. So it's not in GA and by preview, we mean that you should not use this in, in, in production of the Azure migrate private endpoint support availability in public preview. So this is one of the things that I was expecting for a long time. And oh my God, what I can say about this is Having the ability of, instead of going through the internet, right? When you already have a site-to-site -site VPN or an express route, why in the name of God do I need to go to the internet to migrate my servers from on-prem to the cloud? And then you can say, then you may ask, but on express route, for example, we can have right um the public peering yes but it's mm -hmm. still a public peering it's still a public yep. service still goes to public internet public networks it yep. goes so be able to have everything inside especially now that we are going on the confidentiality uh, of service of servers and everything that azure is building 
regarding the protection um yeah we can use this we can do this discovery access because azure migrate is not only for servers it's for databases it's for a lot of other things that just servers so be able to use this on the private endpoint means that i will have an ip that is within my connection private ip within my uh, network okay so it's rotable inside of my network i don't need to go anywhere else it's huge i have to say Absolutely. You know, we've we've talked about quite a few um, kind of routing changes and there's been some different services releasing. Absolutely. A lot of them are around, let's just say, keeping traffic inside your own tenant. Yes. Uh, I want to I want to oversimplify some of those changes because uh, I think it's important, like you said, to emphasize uh, what uh, like how big this security improvement is. So the difference is. Uh, no matter what we did, like you were saying, even with uh, public peering, that it would still go public, yes. right? So it would be on public internet. And while the risk is low, it's encrypted, uh, it is still a physical risk. Yes. Uh, and Azure Migrate is such a great tool that, uh, as, as you know, uh, it's kind of near and dear because it was my first uh, Azure tool that I really like very deep dive, um, got hands on with. And uh, it's an excellent tool for all of our uh, users, listeners, people that are brand new to Azure. This is the thing, go play with yes. this on Microsoft Learn because you will be so impressed with what you can actually do uh, like you have a you have a, a very good feeling of accomplishment being able to migrate data resources, not just servers, right? Like you were saying, yeah. and uh, it's a really great. Idea. I'm sorry, I get excited no, about. No, no, you, you, you uh, are absolutely migrate. right. Although I think we need to mention one thing, that it's not about only migrate the servers over a private network. Is the process of using migrate? If you step a little bit back, is you starting with discovery. So to discovery, mm -hmm. and if we're going on that path, we're going with the higher, uh, in this case, high privilege accounts to discover everything, to discover all the services. Yes. So we are, and that discovery is coming directly from Azure. It's not on-prem. So you are starting to discover from Azure. The reporting back when you assess and everything else is on Azure. So there is a lot of... Um, is there is a lot of information going back and forth, right? Doing this Absolutely. through the internet, and we know that's encrypted, but we can always have some data exfiltration risks associated by that because we are using the public internet. It's HTTPS traffic, we know that, and everything else, but there are always, always a risk of this data exfiltration and you are not with this we are not transverse anymore the public endpoints so we can use everything within the part of the the discovery the part when you are starting to assess especially if you are assessing this um with the dependency agent 
to see where it's connecting to all of that is tremendous, right? It is. Yeah. And it, you're absolutely right because it hops, right? So it starts at Azure. Uh, in this case, it is preview. So don't deploy this in your prod network, please. It's not ready for that yet. But, uh, you know, testing with this, it would go from Azure to the private endpoint, and then it will traverse your secure network, your express route, your site-to-site -site VPN in some cases, back to on-prem, and it will inspect resources there, perform scans. You may have an agent on-prem as well uh, that allows to uh, hop locally, yes. for example, to integrate with like v, um, vCenter, yeah. right? So that you can kind of look at not just the VMs, but you're actually looking at all of the hardware too, like all of the ESXi hosts, all like it, it looks at the whole picture, yes. uh, which is really important because that's how Azure Migrate makes recommendations Absolutely. for VM sizes on the, on the, on the cloud side, Absolutely. right? But I, I really love what you're talking about though, with keeping things more secure. Yes. We're not saying it is, we're just saying it's, more yes. secure, removing risk. Completely, completely removing risk. And that's the part that I like about, about this update. And that's why I say that why we should have this sooner than later. But I'm glad that that's coming. It has been a, a little it's while. A, it's overdue. Uh, yes, it, it is. I have to be honest. Uh, but it's coming, which is good. So means that Microsoft is still listened. It's something of the things that we were pushing as a professionals for them to going on that path because, and we starting to see a lot of those and, and, and um, it's good to see that they are going on that direction. Okay. It's a little bit late that we want it because we had several projects that we want to do that. Right. And it is what it is. We cannot do anything else, uh, but it's coming. So folks uh, bear, bear with us uh, just, be a little bit more patient because it's in private preview, no public preview, sorry, uh, public, public preview. preview. Yeah. So it means that we are very close to FDs in GA. Uh, and one thing is guaranteed, we will have, we will throw a party, okay, when this become a GA, like a virtual party, everyone is invited. And again, if you don't like the party, uh, the money back is guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good point. You know, folks, we do offer a 100% money back guarantee yes. on all views. No, absolutely. Not all views. <laughs> if you subscribe the channel, absolutely. We 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 want you to have your money back guaranteed. Absolutely. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Absolutely. <laughs> and if not, well, we try. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's move to the next one. That is, we are back to the general availability. In this case, it's for the enterprise scale lending zone reference implementation for AKS. Usually, we don't speak much about AKS. Uh, that is the Azure Kubernetes service. But in this case, this is a architecture one, and it's an mm -hmm. enterprise scale lending zone. So it means that this is the baseline, this is the guides, this is our guidance as for me as an architect and Andrew as an architect as well, that we are based our 
architect solutions or solutions uh, when we provide this based on the cloud adoption framework for Azure that now announce some GA, in this case for an enterprise scale, how you should implement AKS on your environment. So it's really Absolutely. important, guys, that you already, this is available right now, so we can start using. And I have to say that I did use this at the end of, of this week. And I'm, I'm very glad that this became available because now I was able to uh, refer to these principles and guidelines of how to enterprise, how to implement enterprise scale uh, architecture uh, for AKS, right? Exactly, yeah. And the, the part that uh, I really like about this is, again, we're really emphasizing proper architecture, well thought out. Yes. Uh, notice I'm carefully avoiding saying the, the right phrase there, but we're, we're thinking about well thought out architectural designs for landing zones. And that means that it's scalable and it's modular. So uh, it's interesting. I was dealing with a client uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they're really starting to migrate some uh, some resources now for production into their Azure tenant. And it's a very exciting time for them, right? So they're really starting to embrace their cloud journey now and really transforming their IT uh, infrastructure. So it's very, very important but they don't also want to buy the whole farm kind of a deal, yeah. right? So they don't want to implement like a huge Azure tenant and take on the whole big thing all in one bite. So that's the really great thing about uh, landing zone architecture is it, it's about encompassing all of the things that are required to provide a good fully operational, secure tenant that is usable for production, but not putting 100% of every kind yes. of a thing they might ever want in there. You can you can add pieces on uh, one at a time as that organization's ready to grow. Uh, and that, I, I'm sorry for the long-winded no, 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 uh, explanation, no, it's, it's, but- It's I, really good. It's, it's absolutely spot on. Uh, what I would like as well to just even add on, on what I say is, all of this that you are seeing, and I think this is really important, um, is all of these uh, enterprise scale for Azure Kubernetes landing zone is based on Terraform. So you can use this as, as your code and you have a link on this update directly to the uh, GitHub page of, of, of Azure or, or in this case of Microsoft that you have exactly all the scripts to deploy it. And like, like you mentioned, Andrew, this is, you can start small or you can go on enterprise scale of having this massive environment of AKS. Um, even if you start small, you don't need to go like on the way that you should do it is and starting going crazy, like deploying thousands of servers. No, you don't need that, remember, this is AKS, this is scalable, this is all the things that you want to do it. This is containers, if you are not uh, very familiar with AKS and Azure Kubernetes service. This is a part of containerization. So you need to scale as you need, as you want, 
as the application is going to request it. So of course that it's not like you implementing, for example, uh, a virtual machine scale set, right? And uh, that you are doing, this is much smaller. You can do that way, way differently. And I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about, about AKS as, mm -hmm. as probably you starting to understand, but this will help us, especially as architects and especially you that you are listening to have a better understanding on how the landing zone that is the cloud adoption framework of Azure will help you to develop those, uh, those solutions. And again, if you have any questions, just shoot us an email or uh, leave a comment below, whatever it is, me and Andrew, um, we are more than welcome to help you on that because this is our daily, daily job, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things that, um, you know, we're both very passionate about. And uh, it's really, I, I feel it's so important for organizations to get the right start Absolutely. when uh, they begin this AKS journey. Um, because it's, it's really, it, I don't, I don't want to get, yeah, so we're going to end up in a rabbit hole here. But uh, it's, it is part of a good foundation of technology for an organization and uh, treat it as such, give it some attention, a little bit of TLC, right? So uh, it does take some time to design it. Um, and just, you know, take a, take a breath, slow your journey down for a moment. It doesn't mean stop, it just means take a breath. And then, uh, you know, build that, that proper foundation and move forwards. Uh, a, a really scalable AKS uh, solution uh, is, actually well you know it's uh, it's amazing because Absolutely. when you when you set everything it just it just goes and you have to give it very little attention it's beautiful um, it's it's magical it's like right? you are almost like on this so you world. you got me addicted with that crazy cicd <laughs> pipeline that you, that you built yeah and i ha i haven't admitted this to you yet but i've actually i've actually uh kind of dove in myself of course um and uh, I've I've been uh, also using it, and I've been deploying it at a couple of customers uh, already, and it's really really solid. Uh, it's a it's a foundational Absolutely. technology now uh, on my list, my short list. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's storage accounts, there's Azure Migrate and AKS. That's it. Nothing else is foundational. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I could barely get that one out. I thought you. I thought you make it mad. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. The next one I have to say, it's pretty cool. Although it's still in public preview, but is the alerts-based smart detection for application insights. So we already talk about mm -hmm. application insights. Application insights is the way that Azure monitors uh, your application. It goes deeply to understand what your application needs. It's doing where it's connecting and starting to get all of those alerts for you. The alert-based smart detection is the way that you can increase and you can have the application insights automatically warns you of potential performance failure anomalies on your application. So it helps you to be proactive than to be reactive which is the golden of any type of monitoring. 
Because on a monitoring, on a very legacy way, you are constantly being reactive. The way that you, you want to do your monitoring is to try to predict or try to tell you when it's going to fail. That is the secret of a good monitoring solution. It is, absolutely. And, and you know, for a long time uh, in IT, in general, I want to say, uh, we've had to kind of create this logic manually, yep. uh, whether it be some form of scripting or if the tool has some kind of a, uh, your monitoring tool, that is, has some sort of a built-in logic uh, that you can utilize with it. This has been a bit trickier, though, because this one is more about, like, let's say you have kind of a benign uh, a database error that gets raised in App Insights occasionally, like, hey, this query took uh, 10 milliseconds instead of the three that it usually takes. If you have a marked increase, like you get five of those and you usually have one, this would then trigger a detection at the top level and say, hey, uh, we're seeing an increase in this alert and we want you to know about it. So like you're saying, this is this is the, the kind of the golden ticket when it comes to monitoring, Absolutely. right? Because now we know that the database uh, is uh, taking 10 milliseconds instead of three. We can get out in front of that now. And, uh, you know, the service desk or the SOC or whoever's monitoring can uh, get the right people involved Absolutely. and go in and take a look at that. Amazing. Amazing. I, like, this is the kind of stuff that we're here Absolutely. for, right? Because I know it's only in preview, but... Uh, I, I actually want to, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I think I, yeah, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have a demo for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We'll do, and, we'll and, do it. And the good thing yeah, about we'll this, it's what I explain in this case to my customers is if you look to the monitoring, right. And why you should use this, this, you starting with the monitoring that you have a trigger and you have an alert, a very dummy one, like goes after that and generates an alert for you. No one wants to do that because then you need to look at those alerts and you need to say, okay, I had the spike. Okay. So spikes are okay to have on our application, right? What is not normal is the, if the spike takes too long to come back to a normal value or to be inside of your baseline. Okay. That's, that's the part that you want to, to identify that. And then you, if you remember this, you started to have above those, um, like what's called uh, metric alerts, right? You have the dynamic alerts. Mm -hmm. So now you have the conjugation of those triggers with the space in time, with the condition of space in time, and the number of times that happen. So now you can say that, for example, the CPU, for example, it goes above 80%. But I want, if that happens on this three times, for example, on a space of 10 minutes, I want to be alerted because that could trigger me something that's going to happen on my application to do that. So those are the dynamic ones. These guys, right, the smart ones, is a little bit different. It's like you mentioned. I'm always being on the three milliseconds, for example, of that query, okay? So I'm going deeper. And now the same query that I've been in this case, monitoring before that is taking three milliseconds. It doesn't go behind my baseline, but now suddenly it's starting to have 
7 milliseconds, 10 milliseconds. This smart detection applied for the application insights knows that if that, that query takes from 3 milliseconds to 10 milliseconds, it's an increase of 7 milliseconds, will on the cascade mode, right, on the application, will trigger down the road, for example, some kind of errors of timeout. Because if that query is, is the, um, in this case, the outcome for the next query of the next, uh, in this case, execution of code, now you are starting to delay your code and you're starting to have problems. So that's why this smart detection, it's really interesting on your application inside. Because you are, in my point of view, they don't say over here, but it's look like they are integrating the AI, right? Into monitoring to make this way better for us, getting less alerts so we cannot be spammed by alerts and get yeah, more so type of alert rules that they are more refined and really give us exactly. what we need to look at. Indeed. So two things on my mind, and I'm in, can, can you flip back to the article um, just while I'm, I'm chatting here for a moment? So I'm going to have you do something. You're going to love this. So uh, one, yes, this is the application of machine learning, right? Because it's going to learn what's normal for our App Insights uh, instance uh, when it's taking a look at those applications, right? And then alert on what's different. Or like you were saying, I really loved what you said about uh, it's normal for an application to spike. Don't overreact. That's not what we're concerned with. We, we want to uh, monitor those spikes. And when it takes too long to come back down, we should know about it because maybe we need to scale things, yeah. right? And uh, maybe we don't have the right resources allocated Absolutely. for that, for example. So that's the kind of thing. So that's real, that's real life machine learning uh, and Microsoft AI helping us right there. And it's awesome. Good sir, I'm doing my public service for the week here. The first link that says, let's learn more at application insights in that first paragraph. Can we, can we go to the destination for that? And Microsoft, I'm still waiting for that new updated Azure swag. I'm running out of cool t-shirts. <laughs> I have page not found. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Is that that you want to show? It was, okay. yes. I feel much better now. <laughs> okay. Never never ceases to amaze me. Uh, it, there's, al there's always one, but uh, I really like when we find them. <laughs> and I do take a little bit of guilty pleasure in that. <laughs> okay. No worries about that. But continuing talking about monitoring, another public preview. This one is on the syslog event collection from Azure Monitor Agent for Linux distros. This is another one that is important. And this for us, it goes directly to our hearts. Why is that? Because usually this syslog collecting events goes to Azure Sentinel. Exactly. So, yes. Exactly. And, and the thing is, I was... 
I was, this is so funny because I was in this case talking to a customer of mine um, on Friday, last Friday in this case, that we were talking about that, that yes, some of those uh, connections that they are already um, published on the on the docs.microsoft.com regarding what is the the standard connections of um, Sentinel, it doesn't mean that you can always do that. You can always revert back, back to these syslogs, right? You can always mm -hmm. go back to syslogs to build the custom one. It's not optimal. Yes, we know that because there is a lot of customization around this. But as, as we spoke over here, the syslog invent connection, in this case for Linux distros, it's really important because now you have a new agent, the Azure Monitor agents, and the data collection rules to improve key areas of the data collection from VMs, including granular and flexible configuration. Like, for example, the collect yes. of subset of VMs in a single workspace. Okay, for example, collect at once, send and both log analytics to Azure metrics, set multiple workspace, which is important because that's the part that in this case, it will be home. It is, it's more like the multi-homed version for Linux that we have on, on Windows, mm -hmm. right? And the data filtration of the source for either the Windows, uh, Windows and Linux VMs. So it's really cool to have all of this on, on the VMs. Um, yeah, this is amazing because um, last year I did have a customer that had some uh, Unix systems, Linux systems, uh, processing confidential data. So what we did is we set up a syslog collector that was basically like a, a log event proxy, uh, kind of a, an idea, right? So uh, they didn't want to have any external access, uh, but it was they'd approved a, like a subset of the logs, different events that they wanted to monitor and that were, we were allowed to monitor with uh, Sentinel at that time. And uh, they used that way to get around it. This kind of takes care of it right at source, right? So instead of having to put a bunch of syslog forwarders in and then create an aggregation server and uploading, now we can do it like you were saying, the same way we have been doing for a, quite a while with uh, Windows servers, um, especially cloud-based, right? Um, because we can install the, uh, the agent very easily and uh, we get to do the filtration at the Absolutely. source versus sending all of those Linux logs to the syslog aggregation server, then filtering and then uploading from there. So now you can restrict data at source. And I, I feel like this is going to be a, a big improvement for many, many clients. Absolutely. Because you don't have to do a lot of power, in this case, on a six-log six, six server. Uh, or the syslog server, right? You can do that on, in this case, at the, the collector side of it, on the VM side of it, to not sending those uh, those logs. So you are transferring less data, you are uh, reducing, in this case, uh, all the data that you need to 
basically filtering and deal with. And it's going to be a quicker way to upload those logs into the cloud. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Better control of the data leaving the server. And I think everyone's going absolutely. to like that. Okay. It's like the next one. The neck, the general availability of confidential computing price reduction on the DCS V2 virtual machines. So another price reduction on this episode, the second one. And in this case, two, two for, for one. one, exactly. Uh, in this case, it's not as much as the first one. It's only 35%, 37%. But it's mm -hmm. a huge reduction. It's almost like a th more than a third, right? On, 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 on reduction of the price for the confidential computing. So we've been announcing a lot of those increase um, VM sizes on the confidential computing and now for the first time, we are announcing in this case, or they are announcing a reduction of those sizes. Yes. In this case that we announced of those prices, not the reduction of the sizes, but the reduction of the prices starting the prices. Yes, in yeah. June 1st. So it was- yeah. Another one backdated for exactly. better savings. So it's, it's really important to see how is this going forward. And I think this is going to enable a lot of another type of service, another type of migrations that we are starting to see with confidential computing. This associated with the private link of Azure Migrate, it's mm. going to be... Yeah, because because this really covers sensitive and regulated um, information um, that, uh, that you may deal with in your organization. Very typically uh, medical or scientific research. And um, a lot of that data is highly regulated, right? And confidential computing offers a way to uh, have, and I'm going to mess up the words here, but it's a secure computing environment. And it allows you to use uh, like trusted launch uh, and basically like virtual, uh, virtual TPM, uh, except now much more expansive, right? So uh, a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Marcos? Uh, I can't think of this for some reason. The the guaranteed secure environment. Yes, yeah, security overall. That you that. Yeah, I I'm, I forgive me. I just can't remember what it is with the the confidential VMs and all that. No, but <laughs> but is, because if now. you think about this, the only secure way to not transfer those and depending on the organization that we're talking about, um, you have is to just doing an offline migration. So basically, acquire yes. the import export service from Azure. Um, basically, come with the appliance uh, that you can transfer those and then sending back directly with highly secure uh, way to just transport those into the Azure data center. And then they will import on that side and then they will do the Delta. But that migration can take a lot of time depending on what that you are doing right um with Absolutely. associated with that now with the private link it's going to be way easier for those type of of workloads with the confidential uh, computing 
to be able to move and now they are cheaper even uh, so so exactly it's, it's yeah. like and, a two and, in one like you saw a three in one in this case right well that that actually that is true because the private endpoint is really a very important part of this recipe because it keeps the data internal absolutely. to the network absolutely the next one it's a little bit outside of our um our area that is azure iot edge integration with azure monitor is now in public review and the reason that we are bringing this is because uh, i've been i've been working with a few projects with iot um, especially with my good friend george meyer from the crazy tech labs um, and one of the things that is always we've been discussing when we're doing all of these projects is how we can monitoring, how we can analyze if the solution is efficient or not, how we can see uh, what is being transferred or not. It's been always a challenge. And right now, this is available on preview, okay, public preview. So again, uh, don't take this as a granted, don't, don't implement this as in production, although it's just monitoring. But remember one thing, if this becomes available GA, right, you probably need to reapply everything. The rules, it's not there. So don't use this as your set and forget because it's not the way that you want to do it. But this gives you a lot of good things to simplify your monitoring and troubleshooting of your IoT Edge devices, okay? on the public preview so it's really cool to use this right absolutely yeah and it's like you were saying you know it's it's really critical to have uh good and meaningful monitoring on all of the iot transactions and devices and that's been one of the challenges is uh you know a lot of those implementations we've had to create custom solutions to bridge that gap and create monitoring uh, tools uh, for IoT specifically. Absolutely. But this is this is this is potentially a very very big improvement. Um, I haven't tested this uh, myself. Uh, we both have a, a few kind of IoT devices around the house and things as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what is able to integrate nicely. Um, through Azure IoT Edge and into uh, Azure Monitoring, it's it, it, the alerting alone is going to be a huge improvement. It is I because think. a lot of a lot of the issues that we found is the amount of data that you are receiving is tremendously, and usually uh, to analyze that, you need to go on a device. You need to start seeing the the, the amount of data, the messages, and all of that. And sometimes this will give us way more insight on what what is happening with the solution with the iot edge device and uh, what is the behavior and like like we mentioned before try to predict because all the monitoring all the best solution in the world we are not saying that is with a vendor b vendor or c vendor but what is the best solution in the world is the one that it will allow us to predict when it's going to fail so we can intervene before that um, and this is again one step forward to going on that so 
I highly recommend you uh, in this case to see either the blog post or the IoT show episode that talks about these new capabilities of the integrating the IoT edge with Azure Monitor that is in preview, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I could not have even said that better. Uh, the the Azure IoT show is uh, pretty amazing, amazing, actually. Um, yeah, if if you're if you're kind of a, a closet IoT nerd, um, you know, go and check it out if you haven't already, uh, because they drop some pretty good knowledge uh, in there, right? It's a it's pretty pretty deep dive. It's pretty good. Let's go to the last but not the least. Do you want to do the honors of this one? Oh, certainly. So five, five more free services available with Azure free account. So we used to say up to 100 services free, and then they said over 100. And I think that we're getting closer to 120 or something like that now. Uh, I've lost count to be perfectly honest, but uh, it's amazing adding five more free services. So what's included now in the free tier of Azure, Azure database for PostgreSQL, Azure database for MySQL, Azure Key Vault. That's, that's a huge huge. win that's, on its own right there. Oh my huge. God. Azure Logic that's Apps. Another one. That's amazing, right? Like the heavy hitters here. And then the uh, encoding feature of Azure Media Services is now also available. So as you know, if you've ever uploaded anything to a video site and you're encoding that media or it says processing or something like that, that's what it's doing is doing that encoding. And uh, to have that service now included in the free tier, well, you think about the different uh, free services with Kubernetes, with Key Vault, uh, let's say uh, MySQL, and now encoding Azure Media Services. Well, I think you have all the tools right there to build a free uh, media site right it's, there. It's not only that. It, yes, you have. But what's impressed me the most is Azure Key Vault, right? Isn't it's, that amazing at the free tier? free tier, you have access to Azure Key Vault. How amazing is that? Because we usually have always been using those uh, tools that they, that they are uh, still free, but you can use on your laptop, for example, or, or, or desktop to, to store yeah. keys. Now I can use Azure that I don't care where I'm coming from. I can use that and I can have those keys into my um, free tier right not paying for anything like that um and all of that the other one logic apps the, this is huge <laughs> that one's that amazing. one is amazing Actually, i can't because put that logic one. apps is where you have your and this is going directly to our hearts right is where you have all the power of automation on sentinel so exactly. it's it's where yeah. you have all of those. What is the name now? Is my is me missing the name? Uh, all of those um, playbooks. So yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. There's two tools now. So there's automation yeah. rules, and uh, the playbooks uh, that we can trigger from the analytics yeah. rules, and 
this is part of that whole automation flow. And to, uh, like you combine Logic App with Key Vault, right? So imagine you want to, uh, let's say from Sentinel, you're triggered on a rule. You want to document it. You have a secure storage uh, account. You retrieve your key as part of your Logic App, capture that uh, potentially confidential data that's been triggered from Sentinel, and you save uh, a subset of it or something like that for analysis uh, review by a human, let's say, later on. So now that's all available in the free tier and on your free account. So you can utilize a lot of that. Now, Sentinel is a paid tool. Uh, I should you know, draw a little bit of a line there, right? It's, uh, there's a lot of parts of Sentinel that are free. And I'm pretty sure, uh, Marcos, can you light up Sentinel as part of your free account in that first 12 months? Is it, is it like part of your trial or not 12 months? Uh, I'm saying it wrong, 120 I don't days. think it's, it's, it's possible because uh, I, I have to test it because Sentinel is always going through the um, log analytics service, right? But yeah, the log analytics it, it's service made to build a lot of yes, data. Right? The log yeah. analytics service you have a free version, but when you spawn up, in this case Sentinel, it doesn't allow you to choose what is your log analytics service. It spun up their own log analytics service that is not the free tier, but is the pay as you go tier. That's why is the cost. Yeah, it's linked with the Sentinel yes, workspace. Yes, it's the Sentinel yeah, dedicated right. workspace. So that is the part that I think uh, it will be. But man, if they make that possibility of Azure Sentinel, just for me and you, demonstrate that and not paying. Oh, Right, that would be amazing. I that will be so. There's will the be idea. like Christmas in June. As I would, I, you know what? As soon as it was in preview, I would probably I would immediately start testing it um, because uh, that that's like the number one ask from my clients yeah. right now. And it's not only that. Sentinel. And now you have Sentinel yeah. with the free tier, right? And then we will have a logical app, so we can't create playbooks for simple things, right, on Sentinel. Yeah. And man, it's with associated with Keyvault, associated with all of those things that you have as uh, uh, now, and especially when you have the association of 365, for example, imagine this, 365 that is free on, on Sentinel, right? When you send in 365 mm -hmm. to Sentinel is free. Now you have all of this, so you can associate a lot of automation, okay, on Sentinel because Logic Apps is, is free. I don't think it's all the Logic Apps, but at least you will have something that is free that you can use, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's almost a dream come true, my friend. Uh, let's see. Let's see if Microsoft doesn't yeah, surprise like us because I know that they are listening. They must be. That would be amazing. Yeah, I, if if somebody can uh, take that little bit of a tidbit and run with it, that's I, I between the two of us, we'd be uh, we would be deploying dozens of Sentinel instances uh, pretty quickly. The sky is with, the limit with customers. Well, we could automate it yeah. a little bit <laughs> with but... logical apps, correct? <laughs> 
with the logic apps. Yeah, we'll use the logic apps to automate building of exactly. other logic apps. Mm. Mm. Kind of a little bit of a howl exactly. situation there. We could get into some trouble. <laughs> but, Sorry, Hal. <laughs> I think it's time to just thank you to everyone and thank you, Andrew, for making this possible um, on this very busy week with this awesome um, climate, at least in Alberta uh, or south, southern Alberta uh, for us um, and making here. So to you that you are listening, if you are new to the channel and if you like what you hear so far, please don't forget to subscribe. Uh, smash that like button again. Um, leave in comments. Uh, spread the love. Uh, if you think that this is good for you and for your colleagues, don't forget to share. Um, you are allowed. We'll give you officially the permission to share as many times as you want it. There's no DMCA restrictions no, on the show. It's open exactly. source it's for open everybody. Source, so please share um, and let us know what you think. And once again, Andrew, thank you so much. It's, it's always a fun moment to have this, this <laughs> podcast with you, my friend. I really appreciate it. And of course, thank you again to our uh, viewers and listeners. Uh, we do this for exactly. you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. So I hope I can see you next week. And it's bye for now. <laughs>